Hello and welcome to the Halloween special of Soundtrack Showdown. Happy Halloween, everybody! We are your usual hosts, Tristella Music, Ella and Tristan. And before we move on, we'd really love it if you could subscribe to this podcast, which allows you to not miss a single episode. And maybe leave us a nice review, especially on iTunes. It really helps to get the word out. And of course, share us with your friends or reach out to us on social media at, at tristellamusic.com. And this month we have two classics of the evil children genre. From 1976, The Omen, scored by the great Jerry Goldsmith. And from 2015, The Witch, or as it's spelt, The Vitch. The Vitch? Yeah. <laughs> By, uh, with score by Mark Corvin, possibly soon to be, be a great, you reckon? I think so, yeah, because he's quite new. He's only had a couple of, like... The Cell? Is that the... Oh, Cube. The Cube. The, the yeah. Cell someone completely different. My yeah, apology. no, he did the Cube, and that in a similar tone. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, no, I think he's he's definitely making himself quite well known in the style of genre that's very popular nowadays, mm. where it's all about tones and drones and textures, you know. Yeah. So I think, I think we may talk a bit about that as we go along. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so particularly one thing that I wanted to bring up, which I don't know if you've heard of one of his mechanisms that he created specifically yeah. for this film. No, I haven't. I definitely haven't. What okay, you... well, we'll talk about we'll it talk later about as we on. Go, oh, that's a, that's a little... Little sneak peek for That's you. That's right. You gotta have to. You have to listen to yes. find out what we're going to be talking about. But before we can talk about anything, we have to give our weekly spoiler alert, Ella. We talk about these films in detail, don't we? And we usually give away a lot of the plot. Yeah. So if you haven't seen them, which I'm very doubtful that you wouldn't have, go no. and watch it now. We'll wait here. It'll and it'll be even better when you come back. That's right. Otherwise, you can just enjoy listening to it and just. If you're one of those people that doesn't like to watch films, but you yeah. just like to hear what's going on and just feel like you're actually absorbing all the knowledge, mm -hmm. and so that just so that you can have something to talk about to your friends over yeah. dinner or a pub lunch, yeah. why not? Maybe you're someone who can't handle a horror film, perhaps, but is interested in knowing what the music's about and exactly. something about what's going on. Yeah. Although I think with all horror films, honestly, the description of what happens is always much worse than the actual visual of seeing it in the film. As good as special effects are you can always create even better ones yourself, mm. I reckon. Mm -hmm. Now, but you are not one of these people who is scared of watching a horror film, Ella. I notice that you're wearing a uh, skeleton shirt right now. Of course, it's the perfect timing for it. It's October, it's Halloween. Absolutely. You know. we'll, we'll try and put a picture up on our <laughs> social media, www.tristellamusic.com, for those of you playing at home. And, uh, yeah, so you, you're a big fan. Uh, what, what drew you to horror films? What's your what, what do you like about horror films? Well... I love horror films, personally, um, as a genre, purely because, for me, you tend to discover quite a lot about yourself. Things like your existing fears, as well as new fears, you mm. know, what creeps you out, what makes you uncomfortable. And it kind of, it's, you know, it makes you think about how much are you willing to endure before looking away. So, yeah, it's, yeah. do you know what I mean? I feel like when you're watching a horror film, it's a real game, uh, like a mental game of stamina and endurance. <laughs> and for me, like a good horror film, if it's done well, you know, it should feel like you're you're on a roller coaster ride where all your emotions are heightened and played with, you know, mm -hmm. when you're going up and down, you know, when 
there are moments when you're feeling safe and then put in a dangerous situation and then you have to react to it. Um, yeah, it's very sort of visceral. You feel like you go through the movie as much as watch exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. And then so all your adrenaline comes forth and then by the end of it, you know, you're almost left wasted and like emotionally drained. You know, mm-hmm. with, with some people even like physically drained as mm-hmm. well. Some people even faint during horror mm-hmm. films, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so for me, I like horror because so it stays with you for a while, you know, like a shadow. Uh-huh. And in your dreams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess for some, watching horror films helps overcome their own fears. I mean, it definitely helps me to kind of desensitize myself. Like if I if there's something that I'm afraid of, if right. I watch it on film, the more I watch it, the more I kind of overcome it. So like exposure therapy, basically, yeah. is what you're using them for. It, it doesn't work like that for me. No? No, I am I am very scared of dogs. Fun fact for everybody at home. So that made one of these films interesting to watch. <laughs> wow, right, yeah, for sure. So basically, like, the dogs were much more scary than the actual theme of, like, the Antichrist. Yeah, to be, yeah, and to be honest, like, the way, in a, in a weird way, it wasn't that scary in that, so the way that the dogs react in the omen, we're not going to particularly talk about that scene, so I'm happy to mm. talk about that now. But the way that the dogs react in the omen is how I imagine every single dog reacting every time I see one in the street. Which that is, is yeah, yeah. That that is my imagination. Of they are predators who are out to get you at any given moment. So, yeah, yeah. If you ever want to know what it's like to be somebody who's scared of dogs, that scene. <laughs> so I tell you, so you don't like horror films then? I do. I I do. I I like horror. I don't watch them all the time. I don't watch them terribly often. I think I probably watch them less often than you. But I, I enjoy a good horror film. What was the first horror film you watched, and how old were you? Yeah, I'm. I am racking my brain as to that. I've got a feeling. It might have been Gremlins. Did you class that as a horror film, though? I think I was six, so I think it qualified <laughs> as one then. Okay. Uh, it's funny, because Gremlins is, me- is classed more as a Christmas film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also scared of Christmas. No, I'm not. It's fine. Um, yeah, so that was probably... My- and then apart from that, like, the first probably, like, sort of honest-to-goodness ones, I remember, like, sort of in high school through the 90s, like, there was a huge obsession with, like, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. So I remember watching like it. Pet Cemetery and stuff. I don't know if that that one, but yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. But yeah. I don't think I watched it. But yeah, it and the Langoliers, mm. and at that point there was a lot of like the Stand, like a TV show thing. I think of another Stephen King. And I was like, I think the first horror film I really kind of got into though was The Shining. Ah, oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Shining. I, I still consider that one of the one of the classics of the genre, even though it's. Yeah, a bit different from a lot of horror films, and it's it's a horror film always has that sort of battle between is it more in the psychological Logical drama thriller. side yeah. versus is it the kind of the gory, visceral, adrenaline ride that kind of you were describing. Or even see the supernatural yeah, vibe we, as well, because it's kind of divided up into I guess those kind of three categories. You've mm. got the as you say, the gory, violent type yeah, films. the gore porn, as they yeah. call it now, the Eli Roth territory. Exactly, and then you've got the supernatural ones, and then you've got the more psychological thrillers yeah. style. It's funny, the first time I watched the horror film mm. was very, very young. I yeah. think that, very young. Um, it was like <laughs> four years old, I'd say. And Good it, grief. <laughs> and it was Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I remember when I watched that film, and in order for me to overcome my fear, I used to draw um, Freddy Krueger and pretend that he was my friend so he wouldn't hurt me. That's how I kind of overcame wow. it. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that would not have disturbed people around you at all. <laughs> I feel like we're really going to some depth here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, and I've seen other films, like Hellraiser was also one of them. Mm, that's pretty hardcore. 
It's funny. I've seen, I remember watching scenes of it when I was very young. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it last year. Completely different experience. Yeah. I wasn't as as scared as I thought I would have been from my memory when Mm -hmm. I first watched it. And it's funny how, like, films that you see when you're much younger have such a profound effect on you that stay with you. And then when you revisit them again, it's completely different. And you almost kind of say to yourself, what was I scared of? Like, Mm -hmm. what was, you know, do you ever have elements like that? Yeah, I get that. And do you even get scared from horror films anymore? Or have you gotten desensitized to the point now that it doesn't really happen? It's really hard for me to get scared, like genuinely Mm. scared. I think the last film that I felt like, oh, it's kind of stayed with me, I guess is um, Hereditary that's come out this year. But only in the last 15 minutes. And it's only because there were at least three scenes where it really kind of got me, like, mentally, and I felt really on edge. Mm-hmm. Like, my, my self-sense was really heightened. Okay. I felt really on edge, you know. and even, So it sort of pushed your buttons nicely. Yeah, and it was... The scenes that, that you see in the film are very, like, creepy. Okay. I won't go into it because sure. those people who haven't seen it... I would Which includes reckon, me. Yeah, so I would definitely recommend to watch mm. it. I mean, again, from like a musical standpoint as well, you know, because mm. it's quite similar to um, the witches type um, yep. score. But yeah, no, it's very hard to find a decent horror film that really kind of scares you because they're all kind of following the same tropes. I guess the witches kind of went against yeah. the sort of shock, cheap scares factor, which definitely. in some ways it kind of went the same way as The Omen, mm. you know, because The Omen isn't a jump scare no. in any way. And it was made to be particularly to be like a thriller type. Mm-hmm. That what makes it a horror film is primarily the music. Mm-hmm. Because when I first watched the film, if you take away the music, I mean, when I first watched the film, I mean, it's just the music, that's what stayed with me more so than the visuals. Sure. And sure. if you take the music away, the film just looks like, as though things that happen are of coincidence, mm-hmm. but the music gives it a personality. It gives yeah. it that character. Yeah, that's you know, true. That yeah. makes it more supernatural. That's how I kind of felt. Yeah, I agree. I, I, would, I would also say that it's got three or four pretty violent deaths, which sort of but go I, beyond what a normal film of... Because otherwise it's quite a drama. It, yeah, totally. But again... What I find really scary about that film, and I still, for me, I class The Omen as the scariest film, you mm-hmm. know, actually, okay. for me, purely because everything that happens, like, it could happen in reality. And I do think, like, Final Destination, mm-hmm. obviously, were inspired by it because yes. all the accidents Yeah, happened. the foretellings and everything. Well, yeah. what did you think about The Omen, then? So I had, I had been aware of The Omen for quite a while, but I hadn't actually seen it until fairly recently. Uh, well, until I watched it for this, in fact. Um, I must have seen some of the scenes of it over the years. I think that tends to happen a little bit with horror for movies sometimes. But 90% of it, including all of the deaths, I had not, I had not seen mm. before. I, I think the, the quality of the film, and I, I'll say actually we've watched a few 70s films lately for this and for, for other reasons. I'm quite liking 70s films lately. And just there, there's a certain realism to the way that they tend to portray things. In the 80s, it got quite fantastical and, and, and wild and crazy, but mm. there's a real realism to the 70s, which I think is very consistent with how we would film horror movies now. Mm. So it almost feels contemporary in that sense, other than it's, you know, it's Gregory Peck, so you're like, okay, this is an old movie. Um, but I, I found it hard, even with the score, even with everything, to kind of really get caught away in the in the emotions of it. I sort of I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the drama and the story of everything, 
but I didn't get the roller coaster ride apart from the dogs. I didn't get the, the really the, the roller coaster ride with it. I just didn't click into the yeah that that side of it. Interesting. Did it not get into your psyche? No, just didn't. Don't know why. But then I, I it has been a while since a horror film has. Like honestly, I think it has been, and I'm not trying to pretend I'm tough or anything, but it's. The last time I was really sort of darkly affected by horror movies was that kind of rush of, like, the Asian horror movies that kind of came into Western knowledge around, like, what, 2000. like Ringu? Yeah, exactly, Ringu and then the American Raj, remake, Ju- which I actually quite like. Oh, and, God, I hate the American remake. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that it one. It is then. terrible. I oh, like the American one. It was one. horrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible. What an abomination. I don't even know. No, I will not. Do oh, wow. a podcast about it. <laughs> okay, you've heard it I'm not, first. I will not even give it the time of day. Goodness. Wow. I, to be honest, I can't remember the score, but I like the movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, you know, The Grudge. The Grudge is quite good. Audition. There was some, there was some pretty hard. Oh, yeah, Audition's ones. great. Yeah, yeah, right. So there were some pretty rough ones around there. And I remember those being you the You should watch I Saw the me. Devil then. Okay. No, I've not seen that one. Watch I Saw the Devil. It's a, it's a Korean film, South Korean mm-hmm. film. And that's if you like the audition, you'd, you'd like mm-hmm. that. Tale of Two Sisters. That was another Korean one I really mm. liked. Yeah, mm. you, no one? Yeah, that was a good one. Again, there was an American remake. Yeah, so. no, in that case, I agree with that. That was terrible. Mm. Um, but yes. This is the thing I like about horror movies. It's all like, oh, you should see this one. Yeah, <laughs> This yeah. one's good. Exactly. <laughs> that one was terrible. Don't see that one. That was awful. <laughs> I like that one. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of re- emotions coming, yeah. coming in. There's something really, I think the beauty of horror movies is something really pure about a horror movie. Like it either it works or it doesn't. So then, in that case, what did you think of the witch or the bitch? Yes, the the witch. Yes, which I gather is just a like a writing thing that is done because it's kind of how the old New England writing was. But it is still meant to be called the witch mm-hmm. with a W. Anyway, sorry, that's a complete aside. I so I was not in any way scared of the witch. I don't think it's particularly a film that goes out of its way to scare people per se. Although it's got some good jump scary kind of dark well, moments. Apparently, oh. the director said that it was meant to be a horror film. Hmm. Okay. I didn't see it as a horror film, particularly. No, I put it in very much in the category of The Shining, where it is yeah. more, it is a solid psychological drama that has elements that are a bit scary, and that if you're that way inclined, might indeed be a bit scary. But I think also, the, kind of what you were saying about how the omen, you feel like these are things that could happen. You know, you walk down the street and one of these things, disasters might befall you. Highly unlikely with a witch. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Highly unlikely. So I think there's, a, there's an element of separation there. But yeah. I really like it. I think it's a really nicely done film. I love the kind of 17th century horror kind of thing. And in high school, I um, studied and acted in The Crucible. And it's like a horror version of The Crucible, which I, like, I'm all over. It is amazing. amazing. Oh. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very into The Witch and everything it stands for. And like the language that it's so of that time and of that style and just the, the way the story works and it sort of uses the whole... The language, but in particular, did you yeah. find it easy to understand then? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It is a little bit impenetrable at times. Like, it's deliberately a bit obtuse, and they talk in kind of funny circles around things and stuff like that. So I don't think for anyone it's like, oh, you know, it would be just like how I was talking to my mates. But, yeah, I mean, it's easy enough to kind of follow with what's going on, I felt. Mm. How, how did you feel? I thought it, the cinematography was beautiful. Mm. I thought every shot, if you pause it, it's like a great... It's one of those every, like film, every frame of painting type exactly, situation. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I kind of went through a phase where I watched the first 10 minutes of The Witch mm-hmm. 
And then something, I got distracted or I had to fall asleep or something. Mm -hmm. And I never went past that. And that went on for a good year. Wow. So I always remember finishing, like stopping at the same point, you know, when the witch is pounding the baby's flesh and stuff. (laughs) Yes. And from that moment, I thought like, oh, yeah, this is going to be really creepy, really scary. I was really going to get under my skin. And so when I finally watched it until the end, you know, for this Mm. podcast... I was a little bit disappointed. Interesting. It's one of those films that's great for, again, media studies to kind of discuss about, you know, women empowerment and, you know, how suppression and all everything. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, um, I almost felt that the music at times was almost non-existent. And I know Mm -hmm. it sounds weird, like some people might say, well, that just means that it was done well that you don't notice it. into the background, you're not, yeah. I remember, like, at least three key scenes where the music was great. Mm. And I was just like, here's the theme, here's a good sort of, like, underlaying that really drives the scene forward and uh, amplifies, and, yeah. It's not for everybody. It's a real indie film. It's a real sort of slow burner, you know. Mm -hmm. I've heard a couple of my friends walked out of the cinema when they tried to watch it. Yeah, they were just like, what is this crap? Wow. You need to have a level of patience to try and absorb and just go with it, really. Mm-hmm. You just have to kind of lo- lower your expectations to kind of get through the film and enjoy it. Okay. But, so, but for me, I, I still enjoyed it, but I was expecting more okay. for me. Even though I levered, lowered my expectation that, yeah. do you know what I mean? I do, I understand. So this is going to be an interesting episode. If the omen left me a little cold and the witch left you a little cold, this this could be exciting, people. Right. This, this is a Halloween special that could get violent. Moving on to the music then. So when you watch a horror, like, what are you looking for in a horror movie score that might be, say, different from another genre? You know what? And it's funny that we're doing both of these films uh, because they both use the same sort of instrument which is the voice yes they do and that's very rare even in horror Mm. right i think for me i mean obviously there's the pitch bent i do think that if you get um like a string and you know if you get one note and then you slowly pitch it down going from high Mm. to low or from low to high that can really intensify some emotions and get really great under your skin you know what i mean kind of i feel like sliding yeah exactly if it's and then like an almost every hobby Almost every horror school does that in well, so, in one place or another, I think. Because it does its job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what makes horror great. It's about what works. Precisely. It's very practical at some levels, yeah. I guess a creepy lullaby, like, uh, you know, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Here's yeah. a little clip here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, that really gets under my skin. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's but very... he's your friend. <laughs> I know he's my friend, but the kids still freak me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Freddy um, Krueger, not scary. Johnny Depp, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, good use of human voice. They can represent the, both the reality and the supernatural harmonically. Mm. You know, if, it's, if you're incorporating whispers and turning them into a melody, that can be really freaky. Yeah. You know? Um, so, like, I guess a motif, whether it's a melody or a non-linear sound, like Psycho's violin string, you mm-hmm. know, this thing is where they mimic the sound of animals in distress. You know, sounds that really trigger our fear of being chased, I guess. Yeah. I also like when a good use of sound design, which Ringo, I like, 
because it introduces some really unusual stings and hits yep. that almost remind you of like a buzzing fly, or it represents like the spirits. But it's very, yeah. it's very short. But it, I just remember. Do you know which bits I'm yeah, talking I know about? You mean, and I, I feel like that was actually quite a feature of of a number of the. A horror, J horror, K horror, mm. whatever you want to call it, films of that, that staticky kind of noise. Yeah. Ringu did it, and the um, the Grudge, the Zhuon, yeah. also did it, that sort of like croaky voice or actual electronic static as like a that's what the other world feels like. It feels like signal interference. Exactly. And they were playing with those ideas like blurry photos, signal interference, um, like uh, static on view screens. So they were very much playing with this idea of like radiation signal interference. Yeah, mm. it was a real thing, but they, that was the sound. It was like... Yeah, yeah and it just... It, it, that freaked yeah. me out, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about for you? Uh, yeah, so uh, it sort of extended from sort of what you're saying. One, one of the things I really like about, like, horror movie scores is that uh, we talk about a lot sort of in sort of film composition type things of horror movies is, where, is the one place where you hear really modern classical music being used... Though, or, Do you mean like experimented with? Yeah, that sort of avant-garde mm. type music. So we've talked a number of times before about like the Penderecki type stuff and the screeching strings and clusters of tones rather than actual notes and all of these things that you would you never hear in you know classical music that you would hear in a concert hall, but you do hear in sort of mid twentieth century, late twentieth century music because they were the really pushing the boundaries of what you could do with music, and that stuff is almost standard in horror movies. So I, I've always found that really interesting. Of This is music that exists in the classical sort of collection, as it were, but can never get recorded. It would never get performed at the Barbican or the Royal Albert Hall because nobody would ever come and listen to a Penderecki concert. Orchestras just don't program that stuff because they just people just won't come. But you say that is it, has it ever been done and people nobody turned up or that it hasn't been done, hasn't been given a chance to. Because I think there's, nowadays... Look, there's probably an element of that. And you're right. Nowadays, when orchestras are very much pushing for the like the film-going audience and the, the gamer audience, maybe they might be more across it if they can be... If they can learn that that is where the music they love comes from, which mm. may be something that we can talk about through our podcast as we go. Of If you like some of this stuff, it, it has a place in the, as we say, in the, the classical music... Mm-hmm. library as mm-hmm. it were like mm-hmm. there, there are places that, that all of this stuff comes from so that's something I've always sort of found interesting and that this is you know people like Howard Shaw and so that really push the envelope of what an orchestra can do you hear a lot of the extended techniques as, as we call them that we've talked about through a few days what you're talking about there like the the heavy pitch bend, the, long, the use of glissandos, the use and the of trills, and, trills stuff. and stuff, or like um, things where you like bang your violin with the bow, mm. or you play underneath the bridge, or mm-hmm. you do weird stuff that you don't normally do, but creates usually really unpleasant, nasty, aggressive sorts of sounds, but which obviously are amazing for mm. um, for horror music and something which we'll talk about again probably about quite quickly is also the use of unusual instruments create some of those sounds naturally is also a big thing. But I think that the downside, though, the, the downside of that, the flip of that exact same argument is that because horror movies are all about what works and that is established as something that does work, is that you do sometimes get a bit of sameness in horror movie scores. Particularly nowadays. Yeah, I where they, the, you just go to that toolkit, you use it. The sound library, etc. Yeah. Which is interesting because there's something that I, you know, some other thing that I will talk about is what Mark 
Corbin. how how he overcame that mm-hmm. because he, that's when he was making the witch he found um you know the the sound library to be quite repetitive so he was really trying to find a way of finding his own sound so mm-hmm. in doing so he actually created an instrument yeah. that is specific for those tones and to create those weird unsettling unnatural sounds you know and mm. i will we'll talk about it later like i think i'll mention it in the legacy because i think it's Great. really interesting and we should definitely um include the video link where he briefly talks about it and you can see what it's that'll it's be doing. in the show notes yeah absolutely that is that is amazing so are we ready to, to talk some films sure let's take a stab at it hey <laughs> here we go so round one we're going to be talking about opening music And so let's let's start with the omen because I think we can kick off with some really, really good music right here. Ooh, let's, scared. Let's, let's talk about the the main theme of the omen called Ave Satani. So the first thing we actually have to talk about before we get to talk about music here mm-hmm. is something that we don't hear. Did you did you notice this? But before both of these films there is no sound mm. in the production logos. Absolutely, yeah, I did. Particularly noticeable in the Omen because mm-hmm. it's a Fox movie production. Yeah. And normally you get that... Exactly. No, it's, it's... It's like nada. Yeah, deathly silent. So it's just, it's there, it's, it's nothing. So you know what? They probably did deliberately so that then people at home would be like, oh, should I just turn up the oh, volume? <laughs> I like that. And then the music comes in yeah. with the choir. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can see what they did there. Mm. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then this music comes in.
think of this then? It's cool, isn't it? It's 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 also it's very it's very different. You don't hear a choral theme terribly often musical, although you do hear it in one movie we've already spoken about, and I think you mentioned the omen in that episode, which was in uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I loved it. I mean, that's, for me, whenever I hear the beginning of that film, it again, it triggers back all the childhood memories of why I was scared of this film, you know, mm-hmm. how it was... It's, it, you know, as Jerry Goldsmith calls it, the black mass, yeah. you know, because normally when you hear choirs, they're meant to be really soothing. They're meant to kind of sing and illustrate joy and enlightenment and so that you can feel close to God, whereas this is completely the opposite. Yeah, and particularly since they're like they're chanting in Latin, so he's very much trying to yeah. like evoke that religious Gregorian chant kind of sound. And we, we should specify to people who may not have picked this up as they watched it, but the actual lyrics in Latin are... Uh, hail Satan and Hail Antichrist, mm. which is Ave Satani, Ave versus Christus. And I just think like the music and the visuals were just perfectly aligned, you know, with the figure of the child and its shadow is how it's the forms of the inverted cross, mm-hmm. which again is the whole subversion, completely tipping everything on its head, you know, showcasing the good versus bad. Yep. So, and I love the piano where the little motif when it comes mm-hmm. in because mm-hmm. it's so simple, but it's just so unsettling but you know when the bass comes in and the lower parts didn't yes. you did it not remind you of um Prophocopif, um romeo and juliet's yeah. um montague oh, and capulets yeah uh, but like a like but obviously a slowed down version yeah like, here's a clip of it Yeah, I remember playing that bass line many, many times in orchestra. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You're right. It, that's that's the sound there. And I think that's it because it has, it's starting from that very sort of romantic era bass of, of Prokofiev, Tchaikovsky, but also obviously, obviously, but, but also of Karloff, 1930s, mm. the O Fortuna kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of a sound. And we can play a clip of that if we want as well. <laughs> I mean, so for me, the music represents his ultimate power, you mm-hmm. know, encasing a child's body. Yes. You know, because I think you wanted to, you mentioned that he doesn't really speak much in the no, film at all. Exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's an important characterization of, of Damien. And this is sort of one of the interesting functions of music in films generally, particularly in horror films, and especially in this film, is to say the things that they don't show. And in this case, if you didn't have this, frankly, over the top music in there, it could be quite tame. Like, the, the character of Damien, I mean, he doesn't do a whole lot in the scheme of things. He's just an annoying, bratty kind of a kid for most of the time. So the purpose of this music, which is, like, extreme, and it, and the, the fact that it happens from literally second one of the film, I, I think is awesome. It, it keeps reminding you that there is more at stake in this film than is what is immediately obvious on screen. Mm. That you're watching, particularly in the early... 20 minutes or so of this film pretty normal domestic kind of a drama kind of a movie but the music is screaming at you no there is a lot more going on in this film this is huge forces beyond everybody's control and that's what 
exactly what the um, this choir and this the full orchestral choral thing represents, which is exactly, and I'll probably keep going back to it, but exactly like The Shining, mm. where, again, you've got a pretty ordinary film for most of it, but crazy music that makes you go, oh, okay. So I'm seeing normal, but I'm clearly not, but this is clearly not normal. Something Something's up. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it, that's what is amazing about it is it's just so over the top that it just drives that point down. Yeah. Cool. So then let's move on to The Witch. Yeah. For The Witch, we'll start with the opening track, What Went We? Interesting. Um, it's a bit different. Yeah. It's very melancholic, almost funeral-like. Like, for me, it's almost like the death of the community. It's, it's cold. Yeah. Definitely cold because the film is set, like, the whole mise-en-scene is just so dreary and there's, like, this lack of colour and vibrancy. Mm-hmm. It's very grey. Yeah. And obviously to kind of represent the life of people back then, mm-hmm. you know, it was really rough and tough. And, you know, miserable because people were living for survival at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. You know, and struggling. It, they didn't have it as easy as we do nowadays. Um, so I think the music definitely highlighted that. It, it felt really fragile yes. as well. And what's interesting, the instruments that were used. And I guess, is that a hurdy gurdy? It one's a hurdy gurdy, yeah. So it was the nickel harper. Okay. Which is basically like a medieval bowed instrument. It's a cross between like a typewriter and a fiddle. Okay. And a bass one, which is sim- similar to the nickel harper, um, but apparently the bass one is a real rare mm. instrument, mm-hmm. um, really hard to find. The waterphone. Horror movie classic. Cello, percussion, and obviously the choir, called the Element Choir. Okay. So that was kind That was of, his instrumentation. Yeah. And the composer, Mark, he actually played a lot of those instruments, particularly in the nickel harper himself. And he's not a perfect player. No. And I think which that added to the fragility of the pieces, you know, which went well with the notion of the family living mm-hmm. on the edge of survival, who they themselves were imperfect and flawed. Because the music was a little bit off-key at times and just really quite unpleasant, I guess. Yeah. Just sad. Yes. Just picking up on that. So, yeah, I think exactly using these old instruments and and those sort of fragile string sounds. I think the, the first thing that this piece of music does very well is that it's it's very period, uh, as it it's were. It's funny you say that because actually the director said he didn't want period music. So I find it quite interesting mm. that you say that it sounds period. Yeah, I think it does. Well, I think it immediately... 
it maybe it doesn't feel it may or may not feel authentic to that era. No. Um, and indeed, it, it probably doesn't because we're talking about literally the classical era. <laughs> um, maybe it's like a, a reinvention of the period. Yeah, music. but it sounds old. I think that's yeah. the important thing. It sounds old and it sounds a bit exotic. So the moment that that comes on, you're like, okay, this isn't today. Mm-hmm. This is clearly very old. So it has that first kind of instinctive reaction of I'm in a different place. So it does that first scene setting. The other thing that I think is really good about this, and you've talked about fragility and coldness and all of those things, is that, and this maybe comes from someone who was in, who's been in the Crucible and things like that for anyone who knows that. But so in that first scene, the dad, William, is mm-hmm. he's giving this huge impassioned speech about how they've like lost their way with God and. You know, it's it's all going to go wrong, and he's about to get kicked out in this trial. It's and like a premonition, almost. Yeah, and all of those things, which in the Crucible is like the height of the drama. That is that is the peak of it. But the music couldn't care less. Like that should be powerful, emotive, angry, you know, strong sorts of music. But it's not. It's cold and it's fragile and it's almost emotionless. It's just maybe wistfully a little bit sad, mm. which makes it tie perfectly to. Um, Thomasina, whose face we see, and that is exactly her emotion. She's just sort of like cold. Detached. Detached, exactly. She clearly kind of knows what's going on, but she's also just like detached from the whole thing. So I think it very, it's telling you, A, for a start, that she's the main character, not the other people, uh, and that it's it's about the woman, not about the men. So I think that's that's an important first step. But it also tells you, even though this whole Puritan religious thing is the backdrop of this story, that these people being cast out is the reason why the story starts this way with them in the woods by themselves. The religious stuff is not important to the story because the music has told you, I don't care about that. Mm. I care about the emotions that the family is feeling about this bleak situation, not the ideologies behind why they get into the situation, which I think is a really interesting play for it to make right, yeah, right at the start. it's an interesting choice for sure. So then we move on to Banished. Yeah, so the other thing that's great about it is it rolls right into this, this second piece called Banished. So here it is now. Because it takes the same basic sounds of what went we, but what went we was kind of a relatively tuneful, kind of old timey kind of a tune. But now we're into proper horror, almost sound design kind of territory. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that like the music in, to you, it makes you feel like it makes it very clear that the woods are something to be feared. Yeah. So I agree. I mean, sure. I mean, 
feared because for me, I guess in some ways, I feel that the family have in, in a way trespassed on the witch's land potentially. And, oh, you yeah. know, so therefore they will have to bear the consequences of this. It's kind of a typical human trait of naivety and arrogance to assume that, you know, whatever place or piece of land you come upon, you know, it's yours you for the take. take. Over, right? Yeah. And that no one, that the, the fact that there was no one there before you. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it interesting how there was a shot of the like um, Native Americans as well as they as were, they, were leaving. Yeah, it's and, kind of funny they're leaving the town and the native americans in like just sort of native american garb yeah, as yeah. it were are just walking around in the town like they're living there but you're not mm-hmm. the music for me really illustrated that particularly when it ended with the choir it was almost like trying to amplify that the witch has sensed their presence and is not happy with this new arrangement of, of her having to share her land or this land and having them as next door neighbours, you know. So you link this music very clearly with the witch yeah, as, a, as a character. Because it's almost like an invasion of her own personal space. Yeah. And this is her vocalising it. Oh, yeah. Particularly with the, so when the choir ends it and there's a shot of the words coming through, you know, mm. it's like, you know, you could have easily had like a montage of her, the witch's oh, face, face. Yeah. you know, faded in or coming out and... Mm. But they've just used the voice. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're probably right, because probably you could probably pretty fairly say that every time you hear the women's voices through this score, it's very much the voice of the witch, as it were. And I do find it interesting. One thing I wanted to kind of touch upon is the mm-hmm. different use of the choirs in both films. Okay, yeah. Um, it's just briefly, just to say how, like, in The Omen, the music, the, the use of the choir is very traditional, very mm-hmm. patriarchal and almost, you know, rigid and quite yep. godlike. Whereas in The Witch... The use of the choir is very quite earthy and, you know, I natural. guess natural and unpredictable and very obscure because there's no, they don't talk, there's, there's words, but they're almost nonsensical. Yeah, they're not saying anything, certainly nothing in the way that the they're omen. obviously saying something the omen. Yeah. yeah. What did you think? Do you agree? Yeah, I completely agree with, with where you're going. So which do we think is better, the witch or the omen? Uh, I'm going to go for the omen. Yeah. Yeah. I think because it's, again, it's from like childhood. It's a childhood thing. The first three seconds of hearing that choir come in very quietly, I, I, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm just, I'm immersed. I know that I'm going to be scared for me, <laughs> which I know probably for you is the opposite, but um, I, I guess I, I have a lot more sentimental value yeah. towards it. Yeah. Um, it triggers things for you now because it has an attachment. Exactly. With The Witch, it's the sort of music that I've heard so many times like yeah. it's not necessarily new it's yeah. still creepy and it's a great use of it's instrumentation. well executed yeah. yeah but it's for me you can definitely highlight certain soundtracks and the omen in terms of like making a real sort of splash, sta- splash. so for me i would vote the omen yeah I'm, with, I'm for exactly the same reasons i'm with the omen as well all right so let's move on to round two and spoiler alerts in effect, missing children. Dun dun dun. So, shall we start off with the omen again? Yeah, sure, let's go for it. Let's start with a track, Where Is He? So my 
immediate reaction when I was watching the film and I heard this. I, I, I wanted to talk about this because I, I saw this scene and I heard it and my flashing through my brain was, you could not do this anymore. What do you mean that you could not do this exactly? Oh, just the, just how, like, okay, like the start of it, sure. You know, the kind of scary, sort of spooky, creepy sort of strings as, as, they, as they lose the kid. But then the way it just turns on a dime, which is this like super schmaltzy family kind of a, a sound, and the amount of woodwinds and everything, you just, you don't hear that sound in movies anymore, I don't mm-hmm. think. It's just, it's so, it's so different. So you'll start with those, you know, the tense descending kind of strings. They're not dissonant, but and they sound so just sort of distant and, and, and classically played, whereas now they'd be like the witch. They'd be all close-miked and fragile and right on the edge and lots of brightness to the sound, but no, they're just like wishy-washy kind of strings. They're, they're old-fashioned sound. And then, yeah, the, the woodwinds. The, the moment you hear those woodwinds start to come through, it, it sounds fantastical. It's like something out of Harry Potter. It's not It's not about a serious movie anymore, that kind of a sound. And mm. then, yeah, it just, it just it goes so schmaltzy mm. <laughs> into, like, a love theme. Yeah. You don't, he, you don't hear that anymore in scores. Or and, well, the shift, the quick shift from one yeah, to another, the, unless it's, like, a comedy. Yeah. You know, or, like, a romantic film or some sort of parody, you know, yeah. but not in horror so, or your traditional where it's meant to be, like, a serious film. Yeah, I feel like maybe sometimes you might hear music that goes down, as it were. So, like, you're watching a horror movie or a drama or something and you're watching, like, a love Converse, like a happy romantic conversation and then all of a sudden like a dark note will come in and then it goes horribly wrong. You might hear that these days, that shift from good to bad, but this sort of shift of, oh, it's really scary, the kid's gone missing, oh, I wonder what's going to happen, oh, no, it's fine, everybody's happy. <laughs> it's like a real sort of like a 180, yeah. basically. Yeah, and yeah, I just... Jerry Wait, Goldsmith but... used to do that a lot, but I just don't think you hear it anymore. No, but, and we're just got used to not hearing it anymore you know but I think like back in those days like for me um it the sound reminded me a lot of like again a fly buzzing those like mm, that mm-hmm. sound there was a short bit um I think played by the clarinets and the flutes mm-hmm. that reminded me of the jaws that yeah. just before it changes to the happy romantic major yeah. scale like back in the day that was suspense these like yeah. stabs of woodwind that you know they're dark but these days it's just it's well it, it does add <laughs> it i agree it add, definitely added the tension and you know it, it really illustrated the frantic subconscious of the mother and mm. the father they're, you they're know. genuinely scared that yeah and i really do think like back in the day that style of music was more about showcasing the thoughts and the subconscious of the characters you know when they weren't speaking as much like i think another example for me like the track um called i was there when the photographer i can't remember the character's yes. name yeah. when he's developing the images of the priest and then discovers the faint line leading you know to the mm. body as though it's the premonition of his death the way the music is played it's almost as though it's in his head yeah and like each time the woodwind comes in, it's like it's like a question or his curiosity and then how it develops into then the sort of a shock. And nowadays we might find that all very old fashioned and a bit tedious and a mm. bit too much, you know, having to almost illustrate and um, articulate every single sort of subconscious thought yeah. musically. Yes. But that's how it was done back in the day. Absolutely. That's it what is, people were expecting there. It is, it is. It's how it was done, it's what works, and it's it's very much that old yeah, that old purpose of film music, which is to communicate subtext. Don't communicate what's actually in the shot. The shot already does that. 
provide the subtext, the stuff that the film can't say. Mm. And it is. It's doing that, and it's doing that really literally. But also, I mean, it's quite well. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's bad because of all these things. It's just it feels dated to me. It you is, don't yeah. get that sound anymore, and you don't even hear that style anymore. You don't hear that ever in The Witch where it's, there's that much separation. Because everything is so stripped back nowadays. Mm. Which it has its positives and has its negatives. So as well. stripped back, but also so grounded. I think like the that that use of old timey instruments and stuff. Where you say, indeed, in um, the witch, it's not strictly period, as it were, but it's meant to kind of sound authentic to the world almost, where it's it's raw and it's rough because the world we're watching is raw and it's rough. So they're meant to blend. It's almost meant to feel like it is a sound that could come from that world. Whereas the omen has no such pretense. It's blatantly obvious that there would not be a choir or woodwinds or strings in this scenario. It feels completely foreign to the the scene, mm. as it were. Yeah. I think that's a bit of a difference. But the thing that I do really like about this, and I kind of hinted a moment ago, is the fact that at early on in the film, so they've had that big dramatic Ave Satani opening and stuff, and you're really waiting for okay, where's 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 the horror coming from? Where you know, I know this is a pretty dark film seen the poster, as I've said in most episodes, seen the poster, I know some stuff's going to go down, when's it going to go down? And this moment where he goes missing, he's like, ooh, could this, could this be the moment? And the music is like, yeah, could be, could be. No, it's not. <laughs> and I like Got that. you there. Yeah, That's exactly. Awesome. I like that. It's like a musical reverse jump scare. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's going to be scary. It's no, playing it's with your mind. Yeah, you it's, know. it's playing with the audience. I like that. I really dig that. Cool. And then let's move on to The Witch. Yes, so I... In a way, similar scene, kind of different scene. Oh, I think very different scene. <laughs> I think it takes it, like, much further down. I mean, a scene that I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah? I think. Well, yeah, I've never seen a baby, in, like, insinuating that a baby's flesh has been pounded and then oh, yeah. turned into like, a <laughs> body ointment for the witch to fly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, let, never... let's listen to it. <laughs> a witch stole Sam. As you say, um, it's, it starts off with game. You know, game of peekaboo. Mm-hmm. Kid goes missing somewhat unexpectedly and unexplained. Then we see a woman running off into the forest carrying the baby, and then um, the worst daily skincare ritual ever <laughs> ever devised. Hey, if it's gonna keep you young and make you fly, why not? Yeah, who, who cares if it involves a knife, a baby, a mortar and pestle, and God knows what else that was. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's extreme. That happened. Um. Yeah, right? 
the music, the, the music's amazing. So I love that opening, that sort of, and so we were talking about how, you know, sort of real concert music, as it were, that makes its way into the cinema. That is, that is Ligeti right there, that the sort of, uh, the, the vocals, those sort of dark, tense kind of clustery chords in the vocals are just sort of like flow, sorry, just sort of, yeah, flow and evolve out of each other. That's very reminiscent of a, a bunch of pieces called Atmospheres by, okay. by Ligeti, Georgie Ligeti. You also, he, you actually hear those pieces in Eyes Wide Shut. If you mm. want to, if you want to see them in a film, but so yeah, it's, it's sort of a, it's like minimalism where it's kits layered and layered on top of each other, but like not yep. in the same key until it just makes like a jumble a of noise, huge on... cluster of noise, exactly. Yeah. So in atmospheres, which I don't know how he necessarily knew this one, but in atmospheres, for example, he's got fifty different singers singing different pitches in just a cloud of sounds, and yet it creates this just. A cloud of sound. There's no yeah. better way to describe it. It's, it's a, a magnificent sound of yes. just... Oh. Complete and utter dissonance. Yeah. And chaos. And I think that the secret of it, and it's, it is true then at that point of the track, and it's also true later on when we've got a lot of stuff going on, the whole point is to overwhelm the listener. There's so much going on you can't process it all, and so you just sort of have this like almost like mental freak-out panic of, I can't, I can't even handle yeah, I mean, in some ways, it does still sound quite earthy. Yes. And, you know, it, what was interesting is that the uh, the instrument that they use, um, mm-hmm. it's actually an ancient Finnish instrument called Juhiko. Uh, I think it's called Juhiko. Mm-hmm. And it's the sound that, um, it's the razor sharp one that goes, like underneath and then gets louder. Oh, yeah, which sounds almost like a percussion instrument. Kinda, and it almost sounds like a like a, like a cello or something or yeah. some other form bowed um, instrument. Ah, yeah, I know what I mean. Yeah, that was used to kind of give the witch like her own dissonant voice, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, it's just really really uncomfortable. And the rhythmic beats as well. Oh mm-hmm. God, I hate it. It's just such a nasty sound, you know. But purely because it sounds very wet. Yes. And. Obviously, what they did is they probably applied a lot of wet reverb mm-hmm. to that particular sound, which, again, was a perfect synergy with the visuals when the witch is pounding the baby's flesh and all the blood and the body parts are blended. Yeah. Yummy. <laughs> yeah, disgusting, yeah. And, yeah, it's just... And then how it just carries on and, like, it just... It really kind of gets ingrained in my mind. Even just thinking about it, it's making me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, I love how with the, when the percussion comes in and the, the beat, as you say, it gets this sort of like ritualistic kind of like tribal thing going on yeah. where it feels like you're sort of in, in a trance and you're being like carried away with it. Like it's building and it's building and it's building. You can't quite handle it. It's the sort of thing you would often get in one of those sort of like really trippy scenes. Yeah. You know, like a movie where, you know, someone's taking some drugs or something and they're just they're losing control of what's going on. It's that kind of a, a sound. Mm-hmm. Usually, like a you know, like a sweat lodge type situation. <laughs> yeah, but it's very effective. Yeah, I think it's far more effective than the Omen one mm. for me. So that's your vote. You're going to go yeah. with, with the witch. I I think I will too. Again, I mean, it's the strongest scene. Whereas the the Omen, it's just a it's a red herring. It's genuinely a red herring. Whereas this one is this is what sets the film in motion. <laughs> All right, so that is two votes to the witch. Which brings us to round three, matricide, matricide. which is just a $2 word for killing your mother. (laughs) Right. I love my mother, though. Yeah, me too. All right. So I suppose we'll we'll stick stick with it as we've been going. Let's start with The Omen and a track called 
the Thor. love theme you know the thorns theme you mm-hmm. know where it's because it's so delicate and so emotionally driven and how but then how you can still hear Damien's influence like his motif is kind of creeping in and kind of inter- intertwined you know with their musicality so should though, we maybe just just stop very briefly in there and play those two little clips so they know exactly what we're talking about so this is the thorn love theme as it is, which we've heard a number of times in various videos, including the last track we just played with The Missing Kid. It kind of makes me feel like he's playing like being a puppet master mm. to them it has that sort of encompassing yeah element to it that the power behind it kind yeah of and you know i guess as the music carries on you know there's definitely the tension building with you know the scene when damien is circling in his little bicycle yeah. going round and round and then the immense choir and the instrumentation you know they build up and it's, it makes you feel very small and mm-hmm. I you know you get you get to feel really overwhelmed and feel and like the there's no has that escape. kind of revolving thing so it kind of matches the, the motion as well it, yeah and the it's camera not quite the same angles as normal as well. and yeah it's everything is just swirling in your head yeah mm, making you feel like dizzy and making you feel like as I said like you know you you are put not exactly put under the spell but there is no escape you are surrounded basically sure, yeah. I like it yeah I mean I have to say that you know the falling scene it's did you not feel that it looked very similar to the psychos 
falling scene of the detective. Sit down the... I think it's better than that. The, like the... But do you know how it was done? No. Do you think that she fell on the floor? I guess I did. <laughs> no, Appar- apparently not. I'm well, nervous to say that. The floor is actually a wall. Oh, so um, yeah. So apparently the actress, um, I think Lee Lemerick, I think okay. she refused to film the actual fall, like right. even with the wires or whatever they had in place. Sure. You know, I guess stunt sort of coordination and effects back in those days were different to mm. the way they were known. Sure. And well, you just fall on a green map down yeah, it, maybe. And so yeah, so they decided to film it a different way, whereby it's like her kind of moving towards a wall. Right. Yeah. Interesting. It's a little trivia there. Yeah, nice. I, I felt like it was far more realistic than uh, what's Abernathy or whatever falling down the stairs in, in Psycho. But I, I, at the same time, it didn't feel hyper real. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, again, I, I really like it. It's a, like that version of the, the devil's theme, of the Damien devil's theme. It's a particularly fun version. I think it may even be the most enjoyable version with the... The extra rollicking energy that it has to it as, as he's riding around and riding around. Um, and yeah, the, the dizziness it really gives us a sense of what's playing in his head. It's like, it was like the, the devil's instructions to him to, to go off and do it. And I love the scene and the music, how it creates a sense of inevitability. Mm. That, you know, the, the moment, you know, because we've had the scene where, you know, she's been angry with him or whatever because he's been annoying with the balls on the pool table or whatever. And, well, know, it's she's... the first time she recognises that there's something wrong. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, he might not be a her child and that, you know, the realisation that, oh, she has to give potentially birth to another child. Yeah. You know, and she's probably thinking like, oh, my God, is this what I have to deal with? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got that kind of awkward abortion conversation between mm. her and Robert, is it? Yeah. And then you cut to the scene of her watering the fern and then you cut to him going around in circles and the moment you see him going around in circles you're like oh <laughs> yeah, this is not going to end well this is not going to end well you know like there is yeah, it's just a real foretelling of it it's not it's not even trying to keep it a surprise and that's almost what makes it worse it's it's a similar thing of how a lot of people talk about it in sort of like in Game of Thrones sometimes and, and some sort of shows like that. Of it's not so much the surprises that are really bad although some of them are pretty bad but it's the I know this is going to go bad and I have to watch. The build-up. You, you yeah. Mean, yeah. Well, the build-up, but the, like the, the build-up where you know. So it's like... It's almost like delaying the build, like delaying the end result. Yeah, rather than being horrified for like a split second yeah. when the, the horrible thing happens. You're horrified the entire time because like, uh-oh. She's yeah. going to get knocked off. This is going to be bad. Like, when is this going to be over? Like, when yeah. is this going to happen? I've got to endure, and now I've got to endure the inevitability of what's going yeah. to happen as he rides around and around and around. Oh, yes, she's opening the door. Yes, she's riding down. It, and it's funny. There's almost like a little hope in you thinking like, oh, well, maybe she will avoid it somehow. Maybe mm. if she gets off the stool just, just in, in time. time you know? and, uh, no, this is not that film. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she might be able to pull herself up when she's hanging off the stairway. You know, yeah. just, no. No, not at all. Um... And then I, I feel sort of ashamed to admit I can't at the end, right at the end of this track. There's that strange swishing noise. Well, the wishing sound I think is meant to be played when his bike is pedaling. Is it not? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's meant to kind of probably represent yeah. his bike pedaling and like his yeah. unstoppable Do you know what force. It is? I've got no idea. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. I would be guessing. Probably yeah. just maybe Jerry Goldsmith just doing. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. 
Jerry Goldsmith does do some weird things where he's got like sort of weird bat and things that you swing around in the air. He used that quite a bit in Alien and okay. stuff like that. So he could be any number of sort of odd percussion instruments. But yeah, I'm, ash- I'm ashamed that I don't particularly know what that is. The other thing I really like about this track is right at the end that the falling choir, which again, it's mm. like you wouldn't really do it now because like it's it's Mickey Mousing you know, in mm. a horror movie, which is not really cool anymore. But it's it's cool. <laughs> I think it's done tastefully though. It is. Yeah, so that's what makes it work. So then let's move on to The Witch. Yes, and in the case of The Witch, so this is a track that kind of covers a few things, but what we're listening to in particular is sort of the, like the last 90 seconds of a track called The Goat and the Mayhem. Like the scene where the family has just lost it. Like they've lost the bait, the twins. They the father has been killed by the goat. It's just basically the mother and Thomason left, and yeah, the mother it's complete is complete destruction of yeah. the family by this point. Every yeah, everyone's dead or dying pretty much. And like she, the mother is losing it at this point. And As you just, would. Yeah, she's having a complete nervous breakdown and accuses Thomason of being a witch and just goes for her and just tries to put an end to her. And obviously there's that fight, yeah. bitter fight between mother and daughter. And then obviously at the end Daughter of it, wins. The daughter wins. And you know what? I actually, I don't normally say this or you wouldn't normally say that this is actually a real good piece of acting or realism. But the fact that Thomason ends up crying and holding the mother after she yeah. stabs her. I thought that that was a brilliant scene because it's so realistic because it's so raw and so touching that, yeah, you know, I've had to kill my mother, but I'm at the same time, I didn't want to do this. Like, mm. there is the sense of loss in yeah, that scene. Yeah, and of just the tragedy of the entire yeah. situation of, like, because her parents have been basically almost persecuting her by this point, mm. like locking her in the shed and all of those things. But then, yeah, she's struck by the tragedy that has just fallen her entire family mm. and there is a sense like you know i'm sure that she doesn't want it to end this way no of course not yeah we don't often talk about acting in this film i mean in this podcast but she's amazing in this mm. film and it was her first film as well pretty much yeah mm. yeah she's so. a good good little actress what, anya taylor joy i think I think so, yeah. yeah. The music itself, again, like the witch's motif thing. Yeah, there's that, that ritual again. Yeah, so it comes in, it returns here, and I th- obviously I think it's very significant here because it's edging towards amplifying the birth of witch Thomason. Mm. 
Yeah. Her coming into her own, um, letting go of her mother and performing, I guess, what is vital and necessary in order for her to survive. It is basically, I think, the transformation of um, Thomason becoming the witch. and Or in some ways it could be also the actual witch's spirit edging, pushing Thomason to, to embrace this side of her, of this wildness. And sure. Do you know what I mean? So, I, I agree. And do you think that... Um, that part of that is the fact that this is kind of like the, the witch's ritual sound, but we don't have the voices. Do you think that's that's significant that they they don't have voices in this track, which is normally kind of the, the sound of the witch? I'm kind of agreeing with you on this. And essentially, like, I think this is Thomason becoming the witch. That, like, with the ritual, it was that witch with her but, voice. But and you know the... what? No, I think, I think sorry to interrupt. No? I think with the voice, the voice in some ways are always implied to be some sort of like a call, some sort of an enchantment, whereas the fact that it was just purely the jihuku, uh, jihiku yeah. um, instrument is probably maybe that is the... It's her. It's her. You know, it is the witch's sort of form or the essence of the spirit of the witch for every single female character. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. It sort of personalizes it, yeah. Thomasina. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think so. I think that's exactly what they're going for. That it's not a, yeah, a universal call, but it's it's now self actualization. So, and another thing that I really like about it is yeah. this is kind of more from a technical point, production point of view, is how the tension is heightened through the panning of the jihiko going from left to right to give that notion of being pushed from side to side. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. And I really like when musically panning is done really well, whereby you know it creates more of a three D sort of like a three dimensional sonic experience, mm-hmm. and whereby you're not listening just straight ahead. Where you listen to sounds coming alternating from left to yeah. right. Yeah, it makes you really pay attention to mm. things around you, you know. And it's obviously a big modern push as well with like the yeah. Atmos theatres and things like that with more speakers and things to be able to... It's a new spectrum, in, essentially, in which to be that you can play when yeah. making a movie these days. You can do a lot more left-right panning than you used to be able to do. So, have we got a winner? I, I found this one really hard, I must say. Because they're both cracking tracks. Well, I think for the acting, I would have picked The Witch. Yeah. Musically, oh, it's weird. It's, um, I, I kind of want to, I'm going to go for The Omen. It, I think. Damn it, Ella, I was wanting us to disagree on something. <laughs> well, why? <laughs> no, no, but, no, because. No, we can't. It, you're right. It's, it's. I think I like The Witch's soundtrack in this piece, but I think it's a short, it's too short. Yeah, it's it's kind of the runty end of a track. Yeah. And it's just a sort of almost generic action type sequence. Even it, though there's it's there's a lot of coolness to it, there's a good callback, there's a technical achievement, as yeah. you say. It is still just kind of like a rhythmic action music underneath a fight scene. Exactly. And it is basically just taking, you know, the same probably track from the witch stole Sam. It's a needle drop, yeah. You know, and just putting it into this you know, probably use the same sample, whereas in the Omen, there's more developments. And it's so crafted. Like, yeah. you've got, yeah, you've got the Damien theme, then you've got the love theme as they have that sad little there's conversation. There's a real progression. It, it tells a story. The piece yeah. itself, you can listen to that after the fact and be like, yeah, that was the story of that scene because it, it's it's there. And you feel more characters in there as well, whereas yeah. in the, in this one, you don't feel the presence or the essence of the mother yeah. or the family even, no. you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm... Yeah. All right, two votes for The Omen. So, moving on to round four, the imaginatively titled Horror Scenes. 
And for this one, I suppose we'll explain it because it's such a boring title. What we're looking for in this round are those classic horror set pieces. You know what we mean. We're like, because at some point when you watch a horror movie, you're watching it for those horror moments. And almost every horror movie will have at least a few. Even The Shining has a couple. Even The Witch has a couple. The de la creme, as they call it. Yeah, is that, is that, creme is... de la creme. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah but those little, little sprinkles. Those bits <laughs> where the, the character gets ripped apart. You know, those moments. Now, both of these films have those sorts of moments a few times. Uh, the Omen, more so than The Witch. I think The Omen, I think, was pretty famous at its time for at least a few of those death scenes that it has through it. It's got some pretty graphic ones, I think, particularly for the time. Yeah, particularly for the fact that they were all real done. There was no, like, special, like, CGI effects. No, they're practical effects. Yeah, and I, oh, God, I really miss that. I really miss the practical effects. I just find, like, all the horror films nowadays are just so reliant on CGI that it's, like, it's so visible. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I just wanted to say that. No, I agree. And and when you actually do get something that is horror-related that actually uses practical effects, it it automatically raises it in, in my mm. in my opinion I think one the obvious example even though I, th- I am not a huge fan of the show anymore but Walking Dead because it's got Nicotero who is of the Aliens franchise who is a genuinely very good practical effects guy and that's almost all practical effects I mm. think that is one of the things that makes that so much more watchable than yeah. it otherwise would have been because you're right you just appreciate it more yeah you know, it pre- makes it more real in a, in a way I guess but anyway let's mm. let's move on to a scene that happened really just down the road from where we're sitting right now down in Bishop's Park in Fulham I just think that's amazing that we're literally so close to it I know we, we might have to take a photo there one day the scene that we're going to be talking about the killer storm wow. it's based on a, a real life scenario wow that that I did not know that is that is even more scary so yeah, this is definitely one of those classic early horror movie scenes where the special effects are, shall we say, pretty primitive, especially for 90% of the scene before the death itself. You know, like the, the swirling leaves and stuff, I think it's pretty much a leaf blower. Hmm. And it looks pretty silly if you don't have the music. But it doesn't have no music, it has this music.
Yeah, it's very intense, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love how it builds the tension mm-hmm. through the scene. Like, this is a long sequence, like a couple of minutes mm-hmm. long, but the way it just keeps adding, like it starts with first male voice and then female voice, then clarinet. Wouldn't do it now, but hey, cool, clarinet. Then piano, then brass. Again, you, you don't hear brass in horror movies anymore. It's mm. Yeah, that's, that's out of the question. Anyway, I'll, I'll get off that hobby horse. And then, then we start going for it, the really dissonant string runs and more and more brass and just builds and builds and builds until someone gets hit. The with... money shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that there. Go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. And for me, like the music, I felt like it's almost like it was like an evil, the evil supernatural laughter of the devil mm? or like the spirits and stuff. And it's, the whole composition of the music sounds like it's mocking the priest, you know, his attempt to find refuge yeah. in the church. Yeah. You know, the call and, you know, the call and response between the male, um, sort of, low pitch and the, and the female's high pitch, you yeah. know, where they kind of mimic the same yeah. senses. And, um, you know, as ultimately the, the church ends up killing him. Yeah. Oh, the irony. Yeah. Yeah, true. True. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is the... We hear that Damien theme. I suppose I, I, I said in a couple of rounds ago that that was probably the most fun version of, of Damien's theme. This is probably the best version. Like, this mm, is the musical mm. high point of this film, I think, because it, yeah. it takes the theme and it runs with it. It's not as fun, so I'm going to stick with that. That wasn't as fun. Mm-hmm. But this is just, it's full-blown. It's just taking it. It's just going completely nutso with it. Yeah. My only sort of negative little tick mm. is the fact that the music production on its own is very dated. Yeah. When you listen to it. Yeah, but see, with, now you're on it. <laughs> yeah. Because for me, you know when the trumpets come in? Yes. When I was listening to it on its own, I was like, oh, I never noticed it when I was watching the film. Mm-hmm. But boy, did it stand out. And I just felt like, you, this is yeah. not work. With the visuals, perfect. I mean, like I said, I didn't notice the trumpets or much of the brass sort of yeah. elements. Um, Do you think yeah. that's why for 20 years, no horror film director is allowed a composer to go near a brass instrument? Because <laughs> it just doesn't work, does it? Shall we move on to The Witch? Yeah, so The Witch, it's a little bit funnier in terms of... A little funny. It's a little bit different in terms of its horror scene. So we've picked what I think is probably one of its better ones, apart from, obviously, Baby getting pulverised, um, mm-hmm. which is, is out there. So we're going with a scene called Caleb's Seduction. Um, so this is where Caleb has gone into the forest with Thomason. They've like been hunting a rabbit... The dog runs off. Things get really messed up. This is the sort of thing that happens in The Witch all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's been... So Thomason, I think, has fallen off a horse and he's been searching around for her. And then, But instead, rather than finding his sister, he finds a house with a beautiful woman. Until she puts a dirty hand on his face. Yes, which you will hear at the end of this track. <laughs>
So again, I love how you can hear the enticing woman's voice. It's not particularly enticing. Like the audience knows full well early on from this music of this is again, this is not going to end well. This is this is pretty nasty. But and then it just it's, builds tension, adds layer upon layer and layer. It gets louder and louder and louder, and then sting. Mm. No, I completely Love agree. Yeah, it's very abstract. It's very drone-like, and there's nothing really to grab hold of sonically compared to like the choir. Although you know the the choir when it comes in, like for me, the first few notes actually reminded me of Avi Santana's. Yeah. 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 yeah I can hear that. But yeah, ultimately, it's a little bit your bog standard 21st century mm. sort of drones build up. I mean, the witch's theme is very prominent because it's. It's very non-linear. There aren't any words, but it's yeah. meant to be very enchanting, but in the creepy way. Yeah. As though it like evokes a sort of a demented Greek siren calling you forth, Ooh, you know. Fancy. It's meant yeah. to represent like her call to this boy, you know, to come forth to her. And as the music intensifies and gets louder, it's as though you are now entangled and bound to her and there's no escape. Wow. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. I was just going to say the thing I like about it is the way that the... <laughs> it feels so base compared to what you've just said. Oh, my God. I just like the fact that the percussion and strings are really quiet compared to the vocals. <laughs> hey, but still, it's... <laughs> and so when they come in, they're sort of... They're not quite noticeable. They're just kind of sit. Edging their way. Yeah. Edging so you, in, coming in, you Yeah, know. so you sort of hear it, but then you hear the tension. Because they like the, the voice kind of sits there as the, as the enticing, as you've just so eloquently described. But And then the tension comes in, and these other little elements just sort of hide underneath and be like, hey, we're spooky. <laughs> <laughs> and then boom. Sure. Sure, that's, I think that's exactly what Mark was going for. I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so... What do, what, do, what do we reckon? I, I, I won't put you on spot because I put you on spot for the last three rounds. Oh. I'm... Oh, man. I'm going to go with the omen. <laughs> I'm going to go with the omen. I'm, I'm being decisive. I'm being You're brave. You're going with the omen. Okay. Because okay. it's just it's so big and even though it's dated as all get as dated as flare jeans. You know jeans, what? I'm going to go for the witch. Thank you. <laughs> We have disagreement, everybody. Yeah. I think it's purely because of what I just said earlier. Compared to the omen, the use of the choirs, which is very, you know, literal words saying, describing what's going on, mm. what, where, what it's all meant to be about. Whereas the witches one, it's all, it's going back to base. It's going back to this sort of primeval mm. element and where all words came into play and it's mm-hmm. very earthy. And, you know, like I said, mm, do, you, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, yeah. It's I'm, going I'm, I'm, back to nature, literally. I'm in danger of getting convinced, but I want us to have at least some variation. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you have that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's why I would go for the witch. Alrighty, so that's a vote each way. So let's roll on to round five, legacy. Now, obviously, there's a bit of a discrepancy in these two films. Mm. One is just, frankly, a lot older than the other. So let's, let's, let's start with The Omen. Well, I find it very surprising. I really do find this shocking. Mm-hmm. The fact that this was Jerry Goldsmith's only Oscar winning. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, of what, like 16, 17. 17 nominations from 63 to 99. I mean, he made like over like, I don't know, like 100 movies. Mm-hmm. All He's in... so prolific. And yeah, I just, not even for the Alien film. Yeah, I know. It is it is insane. Um, I, yeah, this. Just to finish the point, this was his eighth nomination. He didn't win until his eighth. And then the guy never won again. 
and despite the fact that he kept writing for 20 odd years. Mm. And it's even more amazing because I know you didn't, I, I studied sort of essentially through the American system. You, you studied over here. But whenever you're exposed to the American system and American posers and composers who've worked in Hollywood, they all, to, like, to a, sadly, to a man, uh, but also were there any women? Probably them too, but they, they all revere Jerry Goldsmith like, like no one else. Like the two titans of American film music are Alfred Newman and Jerry Goldsmith. Everybody loves Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith worked in every genre, in every style. He founded the UCLA um, film music program, basically. He's massively influential. Like, so many of the sort of big-name American composers learned either directly from him or from people who learned directly from him. He's he's very much one of the fathers of of American film music, and yet he himself... It's not been recognised enough. no. Really, it, and it's it's amazing. So many like amazing scores, going back to. Do you think that maybe then, in some ways, that Hans Zimmer in some ways is overrated compared to Jerry Goldsmith? He's certainly overrecognized. Although mm. Hans has also won very few awards, but he's won more than Jerry Goldsmith. That's right. Mm. I think, frankly, every composer is overrated compared to Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, even like Jerry Goldsmith was, I feel, as dominant in his era, and his era is massive as John Williams is in his era. They're very similar in many respects in terms of just how prevalent they were. But yeah, so Jerry Goldsmith, I mean, weird kind of a figure. Great musician, unrecognised by the Academy and every other awards group for, for no good reason. Everything from, I'm, I think he did like the Blue Max and films back in the 60s. Chinatown as Chinatown. well. Chinatown, yeah, absolutely. All, all the way through to really modern movies, like the, the mummy movies, the modern yeah. mummy movies. Yeah. Um, Everything. It's just a travesty. Mm. Travesty. And and this one is, I think, is classic Goldsmith in, in many respects. I mean, he's brave enough and confident enough and appreciated enough that he can do whatever he wants. Um, so he can come in and say, oh, I'm going to bring in a quiet or horror movie. And be yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why not, Jerry? <laughs> well, because he, in the production of this film, he actually came in pretty late mm. as well. So he was kind of given this task of creating a score in, in a short space of time. And... I guess the impact of this music and the film itself is, I guess, it really introduced the audience back into religion. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a religious huge, themed movie. Yeah, yeah, and there was a huge rise in sales of the Bible and stuff. Really? You know, okay. yeah. Oh yeah, it, it, back in the seventies and nineteen seventy six, it definitely made an impact. I guess more so than the Exorcist, because the Exorcist came before the Omen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where does it? Rosemary's Baby fit in? Before. Before this it was, as well. it was in the sixties, like like nineteen sixty eight okay. and stuff. So because right. I feel like those are the three films that kind of play in that same, shall we say, sandpit of witches, covens, and devils. Yeah, and yeah, and like evil children, evil sort. kids. And I do think the music played its part in that. Yeah, you for know, because sure. if you have, well, it's got such strong religious overtones. It keeps religion front and center in the film. The I opposite d- of the witch. Um. What if you'd used this sort of modern sound against the omen? What, you know you what we mean. Well, if you swap, we swap like, scores. I feel like it would work to a point purely because we've now seen this modern sound used on pretty much any type of film. And also because of the way it's edited. I think if the film is edited well, you can kind of put any sort of decent music on top. There'll mm. always be those hits yeah. and triggers. You I know? think the, the Omen music still, it very much lifts the film and it adds so much drama by being over the top. Well, because Goldsmith's music had to stand in for the malevolent forces guiding Damon towards mm. his de- destiny. shown on screen. Because like you know these evil vibes are also embodied you know into like 
the scenes with the animals when mm. you know and dogs. exactly and so again like nothing supernatural happens it's all meant to be all about coincidence and if you take the music away it's just a, f- a film with like unfortunate accidents yeah you're right you never see anything obviously fantastical you're right it's like everything is coincidental yeah yeah you know, real, it's an accident. real world events for me i find that much more scary than seeing a ghost or seeing a monster coming out and taking you or whatever. I just find anything to, to do with realism stays with you for longer because it makes you aware of your own surroundings. surroundings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. I but so, yeah, so with The Witch then. Yeah. So I think when you, when you talk about legacy, I mean, I, I like Mike Corbin. I think he, I do I think he's a, a good composer who's going places and he's done some very cool kind of innovative things with the instruments he's used and stuff. But you can't ignore the fact that it's so on trend. The mm. close mic, the close mic strings, and the close mic string type instruments. I mean, if you want to see a good example of uh, of an instrument very similar to that one, but um, the the hurdy gurdy. I mean, watch Bear McCreary's YouTube channel. He uses hurdy gurdy a lot and all of this stuff. And again, it's the exact same sound. It's just that really rough, ready, raw, slightly out of tune. I'm playing this old instrument, but it's a bit broken and I'm not very good at it. So it all sounds a bit off kilter and off tune and that's unsettling. Like that's amazing. And you love it, particularly you love it in the first thing you've heard it in. Mm. And maybe that's what brings me against The Witch is because I'd already heard it in about three or four different soundtracks that Bear McCreary has done. And so for, for me, I listened to this and I was like, okay, well, that's... A breath of fresh air. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's what I'm after, but it's not. Like, I listened to this and I thought, well, that's a hurdy-gurdy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. No, no, but I mean, like, in, in, in relation to The Omen, I thought, yeah. like, for me, The Omen was like a breath of fresh oh, air. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you go back to that, oh, yeah, movies used to sound like this. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Back uh, back in the day when people actually wrote musical notes. Yeah, musical and, like really, really scored to the scene yeah. as well. Like, yeah. I mean, those emotional shifts, I mean, we talk about how you don't really do them anymore, but they're cool and they're amazing musically in their own way about how, okay, this scene starts off sort of romantic, complicated emotional conversation, the one about the abortion, and then we go into malevolence, so then the, the choir has to come in, so we've, we've gone from this to that. Again, yeah, you, you watch the witch and you listen to it and he might add layers in progressively but that's about all you do you mm. don't get these dramatic turns that match the contour of a scene anymore yeah. you just set a mood now and, and off we go is the easy kind of trap to fall into yeah. and I think the witch does that a lot it uh, does yeah because as you said you know it's reliance on those finely timed silences that are meant to speak volumes and yeah. you know having tones and textures that are meant to represent um, our like our primal or innate instincts hmm. rather than having, like, as you said earlier, like an elaborate musicality, you know, yeah. go explaining everything, yeah. our emotions, telling, guiding us or telling us what we're supposed to feel. Yeah. You know? One thing that I kind of appreciate about Mark, what he's done is that, which I men- mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I will say. Yes. Is that he actually has created, have you, do you know what an apprehensive engine is? An apprehensive engine? No. It's basically an instrument. Although it does sound like a car that won't start. <laughs> it's basically, it's um, it was commissioned by his guitar maker friend mm-hmm. to create a new experimental noise maker machine. It basically uses metal rulers, curled scrap metal and other assorted bits of junk. And ultimately it looks like it's a part guitar and part bowed instrument. Right. 
but it has these different parts that you know you play with a bow and you mm. record sounds. It just creates all those a like sense of apprehension and anxiety and those unsettling tones and stuff. And the reason why he created that because all the libraries that he used that already mm. had been in place, he just felt like, well, that's been overused in so many films that he was just like, I want to create my own, my own textures, my own tones. And why are you laughing? <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm late. I'm a bit tired. Because it's a full moon. It's a full moon. I don't know. Yeah. Are you turning into a werewolf then? Yeah, I might. Well, I'm, I am a hairy dude. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. Uh, some, if there is one, I mean, I'm... Why, we, do you find it a little bit um, pretentious? Yeah. I love it. We, I mean, we're, we're both film score geeks. I know that everyone out there is film score geeks. I love a good film score. If there is one thing that I wish didn't happen as much in film music, it is the whole finding a unique bloody instrument thing. Mm-hmm. It's the, oh, this movie needs to fa- sound different, so we need to find a unique instrument that no one's ever used before. Because, yeah, I mean, it gives you a brand, it gives you a sound, but it's all, to me, even though, like, okay, inventing an instrument sounds, like, really clever and amazing and something you can mark or whatever, it also smacks of a certain amount of laziness. Maybe you should watch the video and see the, what the piece I mean, looks like. Yeah, I, I know, but... Because when you see an action, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah, but at some point, you like every new score, it's got some weird instrument that you've never heard before that's meant to make it set apart. I'm like, there's 60 different instruments in an orchestra. They can all be played in a million different ways. Why do you need more? It, to me, it feels like it, it's almost like a, at times, it's like a failing of a composer that they don't know how to make more sounds of what we, from what we already have, hmm. that they need to now use a crutch of something unique and different because they're unable to create something unique and special themselves. Okay, so you think that that's a limitation then? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I kind of have to disagree though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's a limitation. It's just people just taking initiative and taking things into mm. their own accord. Uh, look, maybe this prejudice started because in, in high school I was playing in a, in a pretty good orchestra and we're looking for new material and I happened to, at the time, live next to one of Australia's greater film composers. And I managed to do this thing where I actually managed to borrow like some of his music. It was like, hey, you know, let's let's put two and two together. Let's actually play some more Australian music. And I happen to have access to this guy who can give us all this music. We could not play a single one of his scores because not one of them used just an orchestral like palette. Mm-hmm. Every one of them required some bonkers thing like 15 pan pipes or like a whole like battery of mm. unusual African percussion, which was what sort of qualified for being weird and unusual back then. But now it would be like, yeah, you need to go down to the hardware store and construct an apprehension engine mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to be able to play this score. And I'm like... Well, each of their own. Yeah. Well, then, in that case, who do you... Who's your winner for this round? I've... It's Jerry. I love me. I love me some Jerry. I've been conditioned over decades of like Jerry Goldsmith is the man Mm -hmm. this is the one score that he was respected for it's got all of those little Jerryisms. it's it's a great score I I love it as a score even though I really dig the witch it's it's so on trend it's so now and it's a really really great execution of that new sound it's it's not Jerry maybe not yet but because again it's a whole you know I think maybe in the last few episodes where we had I love where we spoke about the legacy of certain composers. Mm. There was an element or a theme of, you know, have we given them enough time for them to progress and make their own presence known? Mm. So, um, you know, we'll see, because he's only done two or three. He's only done a few films. He's got a few coming out now. I mean, I I feel pretty safe that it's going to be. If he's going the same route with using the same sort of palette and the tones and using his apprehensive engine, then he's limiting himself for sure. 
which you know I just wanted to give a bit of an opposition here, but ulti- sure. but ultimately I agree. I go for Jerry Goldsmith. I just think that for me it's had much more of a lasting impact. And at the end of the day, it's like you can hum the mm-hmm. the theme to you can, you know. Whereas the witch, you can only just make sound. Yeah. But you can't make the thing, like yeah. sing the theme or anything like that. No. Jerry's in the Pantheon, yeah. and this is one of the best thing, be, best of his pieces. There will only ever be a handful of composers that you talk about in the same breath as Jerry Goldsmith. Mm. He's, he's just one of those guys. Maybe Hans of this era will be one of those. I think a lot of people like yourself would, would say no. And that's the scale that we're talking about. Of like Jerry was the man mm. for 30 mm. years. And even though Hans is the man, we're like, yeah, but it's no Jerry. Like, mm. to, to say that someone's not going to be Jerry is, is no disrespect to anyone. It's, it's rare company. It's putting him up in, you know, Tchaikovsky territory. Well, there should age. be only one Jerry. There should be only one Tchaikovsky. There should be only one John Williams. Like, yeah. nobody you should... But there's let... only so many people who have that level of influence over their own craft yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, True. Well, I guess then, at the end of all those rounds, I think it's quite clear... Yes. ...who is our... King of the Underworld. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lord of the Underworld, sort of Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Um, the Beast, yep. 666 himself, <laughs> maybe 668, the neighbor mm. of the Beast. Who knows? He's going to rule the world. Yes, so. the Omen. It's Damien and Jerry. <laughs> Do you agree? Do you agree with our winner at home? Uh, let us know through Tristellar Music Facebook page or tristellarmusic.com. Because we'd love to hear from you. We'll disagree with you, I think, <laughs> if you if you are on the side. But it's of all the about witch. fun at the end of the day. Of course, I mean, yeah, none none of this stuff really matters. It's just two people sharing good ideas about music, and it's not like in the middle of the night we're going to come into your room and stab you to death because you disagree with us. Not every night. Our next episode is actually going to be quite a special one. Yeah, I'm it's... quite excited about this. Me too. It's basically going to be um, our November episode, obviously before we go on to December episode where we will be focusing on Christmas seasonal. Of course. Bit um, of Die soundtrack. Hard. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Gremlins versus Die Hard. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be those no. two. Okay. <laughs> We're basically going to be discussing some of our favorite soundtracks and just yeah. kind of it's going to be just us talking about what shaped us musically mm-hmm. what really influenced us and maybe why. some of the scores that we wouldn't be able to talk about otherwise because we would get in too many fights if the other person disagreed with us exactly which i'm sure we'll still disagree the rings, no it's not coming <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so if you know it'll be a good opportunity for you guys to kind of learn a little bit about us yeah. i guess you know and maybe for us to learn about you send in send in what some of your favorite scores that that, that you really dig as well so, until next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what's we, need, we definitely need a joke for that one. Until next time, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> so, I hope you haven't been listening to this late at night because you may never sleep again after some of the music that you've just heard. Yeah, don't have nightmares, okay? Sleep with the light on if yeah. you can. Yeah. Surrounded by teddy bears. The light of the full moon won't help. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going with that. So, yeah, some teddy bears, not not dolls. A room full of porcelain dolls. No, definitely not. Me. Yeah, <laughs> that, that creeps me out. Why do they even make those things? I don't know. It's like, what, what kind of sadistic person does that? Yeah. They probably had a very bad childhood. Yeah. It's like projection. 
Yeah, Maybe. you think they spent their entire childhood drawing pictures of dolls? Probably. Yeah, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, happy Until Halloween. Me- and Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Mm-hmm.